we have a we have a saying at the moment that nobody nobody builds an Aston Martin on their own. You know, it's a team of people to build an Aston Martin. Well, there isn't a school to, to where you can go and enrol and learn how to be an Aston Martin historian. So, well, I mean, I always jokingly say, you know, it can take, I don't know, seven years to train to be a vet or nine mm-hmm. years to be a doctor or something, you know, but it took me 30 years to train to be a a historian for Aston Martin and I just literally cannot remember anything apart from cars it's always been cars for me so the big shock for me was at the age of about 18 when I realized that actually I wasn't any good at, at fixing or making anything either so I was stuck really <laughs> I wasn't academic and I wasn't um, I wasn't sort of talented in any other way you know as we used to say in the old days with, with your hand uh, but what I was good at was soaking up information you know and, and understanding because I was interested in it and a lot of things I learned way, way back in the late 80s when I was doing that course, I, I still still use today. Some of the best things um, that I've been able to do over the last couple of years, really, again, it, it, it's two ways. It's, it's the people and the car. So, But I guess really to, to answer the, the question truthfully, it was the local car company, you know, that just happened to be, you know, if I'd lived in Luton or that would have been Vauxhall, or if I'd lived in Dagenham, it would be Ford. But because I lived in Northamptonshire, the nearest car factory happened to be Aston Martin. Then don't give up, and you're the you're the one that can make a difference. Really, the more you put, the more effort you put into something, the more you'll get out of it. Hey, I wanted to ask a massive favour of you. Eighty percent of you who listen to the podcast regularly don't follow. If I could ask you just to hit follow wherever you listen, I would really appreciate it. It's an excellent way for us to get bigger and better guests and the ability to grow the community beyond anything we could imagine. It also helps the podcast grow more than you could ever know. So thank you. Racing go-karts as a kid gave me a passion for racing and cars that hasn't stopped since. Welcome to the Ignition Podcast. I started my journey being obsessed with how things work and cars were just the next progression. Because of the career advice I was given and the lack of knowledge about the automotive and motorsport sectors in schools, I created this podcast to speak to people living lives I wish I had known about earlier. And through the curious nature, I will discover how they got to where they are today. Would you spend 30 years studying for one job? Today I'm speaking to Steve Waddingham, Aston Martin Chief Historian and leading expert on the brand's heritage. Steve's career path isn't like most, and he puts it, he spent 30 years studying to do his job. And if you ask me, that makes him a rarity in today's world. Who else had the dedication and passion for one brand and knows that his work preserves something that we as British car enthusiasts love? The newest sponsor to join the podcast has been keeping me grounded for quite a while. Now, I don't think I've shared this with you before, but I love socks, almost to the point of obsession. So when I found Hilltread, I was overwhelmed with such a large array of designs, from Ferrari to Porsche and even Lamborghini. I've fallen in love with the mini socks, so if you want to keep yourself grounded and grounded in your passion, there is no other place to look. So go over to hilltread.com and get yourself 10% off using code IGNITION10. Steve, um, so the podcast starts off pretty similar to every other episode and i like to start off by understanding where your passion for cars came from so what ignited that passion in the first place well actually i think i've probably got it behind me i've got i'll, I'll just grab a little book and show you but my, my passion started uh at about the age of uh probably about two i would think i think my first word was probably car and uh the first book i ever remember reading is this one it's a ladybird book all about cars and I've kept that book ever since. It must be, I don't know, 45 years old, maybe a bit older. Um, and I just literally cannot remember anything apart from cars. It's always been cars for me. Um, and then, of course, over the years, 
growing up growing up with a dad that works with cars and, and own cars it's my I guess my taste has kind of been refined you know my interest has been been refined over the years uh but I yeah I literally cannot remember life without a car <laughs> or cars surrounding me you know yeah and so and what did they I guess your obviously your dad worked for worked in cars but what did they give you in terms of traits of your upbringing what can you remember about that that, that really defines you as a, as a person well I mean again very early memories I remember my dad working on cars at home you know he'd buy a car and uh, he'd repair it and then sell it and make some money out of it and that was on top of his day job he was working in a garage and uh, the garage that he worked at became a Rolls-Royce and Bentley restoration company so one of the first companies in the in the ni- early sort of 1970s to to start calling cars classic cars. So again, I would go and visit him, you know, as a young kid, school holidays. Any time we could ever see my dad was to go see him at work. Yeah. So my mum would drive us over, would walk in, and and now I, I just got literally a feel for it at a very young age. I thought this is what this is the world I want to be, and I want to be like my dad. I want to be working on cars and. And I kind of went through through school. Not I wasn't very academic. Um, I left school with a a bunch of pretty rubbish um, CSE type grade exams because I kind of thought that I would be uh, I would be hands on. I would pick up a hammer and be able to make something or fix something. So the big shock for me was at the age of about eighteen when I realised that actually I wasn't any good at, at fixing or making anything either. So I was stuck really. <laughs> I wasn't academic and I wasn't um I wasn't sort of talented in any other way, you know, as we used to say in the old days with, with your hands, you know, I wasn't a hands-on sort of person either. Um but I was quite lucky really in a series of other things that happened over the years that have kind of led to me where I am today. And um, yeah, I've been I've been pre- pretty lucky in many ways because those things that, that could have held me back kind of didn't hold me back, and um, and I, and I've got the kind of scenario where I've got a dream job, but maybe maybe it could have been a bit easier if I had tried harder at school. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's definitely an easy way of doing what I, what I've ended up doing, uh, but. You know, I, I I don't believe in regretting things in life. You just have to keep on going. Whatever you've, if you've done something wrong or something went wrong, just don't dwell on it. Just move on, and and get it get it better next time. Really. Yeah, and so when it came to I guess school, you you figured out you're not too good with your hands and you're not the smartest of guys, but you found a way to do something you love. So, how did that start off, and what were you looking for when you first had a job? It's my, I know it's a bit a while ago, but it still carries through. So what were you looking for when you went to a, want a job with cars? What did you do? Well, so I left school and I went to technical college and um, as they used to call it in the old days, and I, and I studied vehicle body work. And it was meant to be hands-on and, and theory. And the, most of the people on the course were very good hands-on, mm. whereas I was the opposite, really. I was okay. You know, I wasn't terrible. But, uh, but what I was good at was soaking up information you know, and, and understanding because I was interested in it. And a lot of things I learned way, way back in the late 80s when I was doing that course, I, I still still use today that, you know, the whole theory of how you paint a car or how metal can be uh, be folded and shaped to, to make panels, that sort of thing. So all the theory side of it, it, it really was good and it wasn't a waste of time at all. Um, and then, yeah, I guess really I've, I've just kind of... Uh, 
you know, I was quite lucky to identify that fairly early on that this wasn't going to be a path for me to become someone that repaired cars, but but I could do something with cars. Mm. And that led me on to uh, initially um, spare parts. So I was dealing with spare parts. Um, and then uh, a friend of mine spotted a, a job advert in the Milton Keynes job paper for a job at Aston Martin. And so I applied for the job, had an interview, one interview, and, and got the job basically. And, and the main reason for that was because the um the, the Aston Martin parts business at that time was was fairly old fashioned and we we, mm. we used um books of diagrams and showed you which part numbers uh you needed for, for each part. Whereas most people in the car industry were using microfilm. Um so so because we were using books to Aston and I was used to reading parts manuals, that's what really why I got the job. Um so yeah, and and then I could, was my sort of feet were under the table. Then at that point, I was in the company, and uh, I was advised that once you were in, uh, if you put if you worked hard, you you could kind of work your way up. And you know, the, in those days, the ultimate goal for me was to get a job in an office. You know, to get yeah. off the shop floor, get an office job. I didn't know what office job at that point, but one thing led to another, and uh, I think I was about 21, 21, 22 when I got the job as a buyer. So I was a junior buyer and I was um, shown how to, to buy parts for cars and that, that involved negotiating with suppliers. And um, yeah, and then one thing led to another, really. So that was my kind of that was my kind of way into towards where I am now. Yeah. And where you are now is, is being a historian for the company. So, so how did that opportunity come about and, and, and why did you pursue it, I guess? Because if you wanted an office job, you don't know which one. And this must have come out at some point. So why pick this out of, of the other options? Yeah, well, so the office job, uh, the, the buying job then later on became a part sales job. And then um, I guess my big break really was probably 1999 when we uh, launched the DB7 Vantage. And we mm. had a backlog of uh, customers that wanted to come into the factory, see the cars being made. And I was asked if I would go and, and do half a day, um, half a day each day uh, at Blossom where the DB7 was built and, and just show people around. And it was meant to be for three months and three months became six months and then it became a full-time job really so i did that for many years and i developed that role into something that became part of buying a, a new car so you'd come to the factory and you'd meet me or one of the team and we'd show you around and, and would help you um, you know build a car basically so all that was happening and um and I guess really along the way, I, I started to get to know customers and people in the in the trade and in the industry. Um, and I started to realize um, over, after many years of doing so that I actually had quite a, a big pool of contacts around the world. Um, and a lot of that was to do with the classic car and the older car side, which is something I've always been interested in personally. And then people at work would come to me and ask me, for advice or to ask me about something that happened in the past or you know when was a certain car first um, introduced that sort of thing and I just became like the kind of the office kind of go-to really for for historical uh, questions and then it kind of hit me one day that the reason that was happening was because there was nobody else in the business to do to do so there was mm. no uh, historian we, we'd had one many many years ago very famously a man called Roger Stowers and Roger helped write books and contributed so many things left a hell of a legacy really um and after he'd left 
he was never replaced. So so we'd gone from almost another 15 years without anybody. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly we needed somebody. We need somebody that could answer the, the questions and, and also guide the business when it was dealing with things historic. And uh, so that was the opportunity, really. And I, I volunteered to do it. My boss um, shook my hand and said, it's all yours. That was the end of the, the discussion, really. And initially, I did that as a part-time role. Um, and then gradually, that became more and more demanding. And then after, really, the, the COVID lockdown period, uh, it became a full-time job. So from 2020 or the end of 2020, uh, my, my role changed to purely historian. And that's what I do now every day of the week, basically. That's a full-time job. Yes. I mean, so where did you find the, the knowledge from? Because, I mean, I'm guessing you, was it magazines, was it articles, was this just something you're interested in this spare time you turned into a job through a job, I guess? Yeah. I mean, I've always read magazines and books. And, you know, again, it's like anything. If you like the thing you're reading about, then you can soak it in, you can absorb it. And I got very good at remembering facts and figures and things that people have told me. And I, I, I thought I was pretty good. But but when you become a historian, you can't just go by, you know, something that you might remember from 20 years ago or 10 years mm. ago. It needs to be a bit more scientific than that. So in a funny kind of way, I've probably almost relearned everything again and and also questioning things and, and finding out if that really is the answer or, you know, just because it's in a book, is it is that correct? And that's a constant um that's the thing that will never stop, really. There will yeah. always be new information coming to light and better ways of finding it and maybe discoveries along the way, you know. So, so yeah, so it is a full-time job in terms of just keeping up with the actual, you know, with the actual story for behind everything, really. And um, in the last sort of three years, I've really grown my personal book collection. So I'm absolutely surrounded in this room with books and period magazines, things I can refer to. And uh, and that's that's really kind of my hobby as well. So I buy the books that sat in my own pocket, but I, I buy them because I want them and because I collect them and it's become a, a collection really. Um, and then like any collection, you start to refine it and you realize that maybe some things you've got you don't need. So you get rid of them and maybe you buy something else instead. But um, but yeah, it's a labor of love and yeah. um, very much a hobby and a job with a very thin line in between the two. Not quite sure where one ends and where one starts, but but yeah, it, it's, it's something I really, really enjoy doing. No, it's brilliant. And it's funny, Steve, because I'm hearing you talk about building this knowledge base and talking about your interest in these subjects and then listening to you speak about school earlier when you said you weren't academic. So it's funny how school can put this narrative on your life that you're not great at a certain thing because it's like academia might not just be, it might not be for you. Like mm. you're smart in your own, right? Like school, you, you're going through school. And if you ever feel like you're not doing great, it's not because you're not great at school. It's because school might not be a fit for you. And so, yeah, yeah I just, I just think it's funny because I'm listening to you talk about building this knowledge and all of a sudden you're a leading expert on Aston Martin and you didn't need to go to school for that. No, well, there isn't a school to, to wait for going enroll and learn how to be an astronaut historian. So, well, I mean, I always jokingly say, you know, it can take, I don't know, seven years to train to be a vet or nine mm. years to be a doctor or something, you know, but it took me 30 years to train to be a, a historian for Aston Martin because equally, if I'd have tried to do this job when I just joined, there's no way I could have done it because I wouldn't have known anything really at that point. And, and, and in many ways, a lot of the things I talk about today the things I was actively involved in as it was happening. So, mm. you know, I, it sounds crazy, but I've probably been 
within the company for a quarter of its history you know maybe a bit more actually maybe almost a third but so that gives me an, a fairly unusual um viewpoint where you can actually look at things because you were there taking taking part in it really you know um so that that's quite a unique um set of circumstances that have allowed that to happen as you could probably tell for a while now i like to race have been sponsoring the podcast this platform is a brilliant place for you to share all things motorsport its creator has been on the podcast so you've got that to back it up i have been playing around with it and putting the podcast on there for people to listen to as well so if you need anything motorsport related and the content you're looking for isn't on those bigger platforms there is no other place to find your daily fix, then I like to race.com. Head over there now and join me in the discussion. But definitely, I think you're right. I mean, you know, the nowadays the focus on kids, and I've got a teenage daughter at the moment at school, it's all pressure, pressure, pressure to get qualifications. And, you know, you must try and push towards going to university or whatever. But I, I don't think that fits everybody. And I think in recent years, it's been good to see people being um almost um invited to look more at towards things like apprenticeships you know where where somebody like me when i was 16 definitely would have been better off being an apprentice where you know where you're learning for the first couple of years of your career and getting paid for it that that would have been ideal for me but at that point in time they they were very thin on the ground there were very few apprentices around apprenticeships around um and they were quite hard to get hold of so it was never an option for me really so the fact that it is an option nowadays for, for more kids is a really, really good thing. But I think um, what I'd say to people out there, if, if you're watching this and you, you're young and you love cars, but you're not doing very well at school, then don't don't let it don't let it put you off. You know, you can still do things. You can still push to do things if you work hard. But it is it is definitely harder if you if you don't get the qualifications that you're capable of getting, I guess you could say. And mm. um, and just try the hardest you can and get what you can and get it while it's easier to get it. So it's a lot easier to learn and get things when you're younger than it is to try and do it in, say, evening classes when you're an adult. Maybe you've got a family and maybe you wake up one day 10 years after leaving school and regret not trying harder and then you have to go out and do it again. That will be harder to do it that way round than it will if you do it as early as you can so that would be my advice to young people really just try and work the hardest you can but but never give up and and never yeah. give up and, and never think that you can't do something um or that you you know just because you you did decide to do one thing that you can't suddenly change your mind to do something else that that's something i've done a lot you know things that, that i've done in the past w w with work and kind of thought that that was the pathway i'd always be going down you know that path then stopped and then i changed and did something else so that's fine because when you look back on it all that all becomes your experience that you've gained as you you've been kind of working in, in your career so if it's split into different chunks and that's absolutely fine because it all fits together eventually and gives you a big big bunch of experience and things you can you can draw on in later life yeah no, that's exactly right uh, and steve so with your with your job what is this? Uh, give me the give me the best bits. Like, so what have you enjoyed the most? So what is it I've been able to do? The opportunities have given you. Um, give me a sort of highlight reel of, of being historian Aston Martin. Yeah, well, the best bit really, obviously, is the cars. You know, you get to you get to see 
unusual cars or cars with unique history or maybe a famous car you know um so so that is one of the best bits is when you actually get to to do something with a car that maybe you've never seen it in real life before Mm. um also for me that there are cars that i've been involved with the last couple of years where again i was around when they were new but i was so young when they were new i wasn't able to drive them I wasn't mm. too young, you know, so to be able to drive a car that you've active, actively been involved in when it was being built, it was really quite something, you know, that was a, a that happened last year. That was quite, quite a moving sort of moment, really. Um, and, and great and really enjoyable, you know, but also people, I, I love meeting people or discovering about other people people from our past and 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 trying to kind of bring the people side of of our business more more to the front because behind every aston there's a there's there's people there's people who made it there's people who designed it and there's people who bought them originally um you know and that once you get into that and find out who those people are that really is quite fascinating you know yeah i mean i I spoke to a um one of the valkyrie build technicians uh not a while back and um yeah, he's very, very interested in the company itself. And it's amazing the just the culture they've been able to build. Um and yeah. so how does yeah, how does it how does it how does that culture rub off on you as uh, maybe not being on the shop floor, but maybe having a different role in Aston Martin itself? Yeah, I mean the the culture of our company is is one that's um you know it's evolved over the, over time really. And it is um, you know, we're a British brand and people see us as a British brand, but but it's actually been very international for, forever. Some of the best things um, that I've been able to do over the last couple of years, really, again, it, it, it's two ways. It's it's the people and the car. So, you know, it, it's going to um, research a car and then discovering the, 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 the actual people behind the names in the logbook. And if you look at a, an old car logbook, there'll just be initials and a surname. But but when you actually find out who these people are or who they were, um, is absolutely amazing. You know, some of the, the stories I've heard really are quite incredible. And um, and it yeah, you just see the car in a different way, really, when you've actually met somebody that, that mm. stood there and bought it brand new, 1965, you know, and how, how did they get the money? What what have they done? You know, and some of the stories that we hear, things that we find out are really quite, quite, quite incredible, you know. Um, and I think... Uh, one thing I've noticed really over the years is that a lot, a lot of people who buy our type of car are kind of risk takers. Mm. And if you think about it, the, the world's got millions of people in it, billions of people in it, but only a tiny number of them probably have cars like our type of car or, you know, the, the, the percentage of people that are really, really wealthy is quite small. Um, and so we, you know, we never, we, we never know who the, who the people that tried to get some it and didn't get it, but the ones that did get it, when you look at their story, they've usually got a story as to how they were able to buy uh, an Aston Martin, you know. And if you if you think of it like that, that that for me is a starting point. Whenever I look into the history of a car, is let's find out who the who the first owner was, mm. because I guarantee that's where the story will be, you know, to start with. And um, and it often reflects almost like the 20th century, you know, some of the events of the 20th century then had an impact on the sort of people that were then able to, to to buy a car or buy a luxury car. And it could be that they recorded a, a single that became a hit record or, um, you know, or quite often it's, it's something far less glamorous than that, but it mm. could be something that was quite a big, you know, chance that they took. 
Uh, one in particular I remember was a, a man that that had uh, a, a contract to clear rubble from London during the uh, during the Blitz. So in World War Two, when the buildings were falling down, when all the fires were put out, they were left with tons of rubble. And no one wanted to, to do it. It's not a particularly nice job. But this guy and his company went in with lorries and they took, mm. took all the rubble away. But all the metal that was in the rubble, he could keep. And all that metal then became, uh, you know, was literally weighed in. And that was the money that that made him a fortune, you know. So you look at something like that, and that's a, a direct result of a 20th century sort of episode, if you like, and then the, the knock-on effect was this man was very, very wealthy and he could indulge and buy nice cars. So, so yeah, it's, it's finding out all those those stories along the way, really, that, that I find really fascinating and maybe something a little bit different to what is normally thought of when you, when you talk about car history. Um, quite often, car history is just a big, long list of, you know, racing results or, you know, if a car's been shown in a concourse or whatever, and that's all part of it, and that's all very interesting. But for me, it's to find out who the actual people were and what mm. they did, and uh, and then kind of bring it all alive, really. Yeah, I guess it's because the cars, a car's evaluation is, it's it's record of where it's been, what it's done. Whereas, the, like I said, the history and the story of the car is, is the people behind it, and that's, I guess, what's amazing about the the automotive industry is that. Every car that was built up until a certain point, I guess, is a is a labour of love and is is a a combined effort of people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we have a we have a saying at the moment that nobody nobody builds an Aston Martin on their own. You know, it's a team of people to build an Aston Martin. Um, but but you know, my my sort of little spin on that is that also that you know the people behind the car forevermore afterwards. Once the big mm. one we finish with it, then the car goes through you know, a cycle of, of changes of ownership or whatever, or maybe one owner. I've got people that have bought an Aston Martin and said they would never sell it. And so far they haven't. They're over 20 years in with it, you know. So, um, yeah, but um, I think all of us, we, you know, all of us really are interested in people, aren't we? If you think mm. about it, especially in today's world, you know, you pick your phone up and it will give you the latest headlines and gossip from around the world about whatever things people are doing and all of us can't help but click on something and read read a story about a person and i think that um it's just part of being a human being really we're, we're all naturally interested in each other um but when you add cars into the mix then you know I, I don't know about you but if you're really into cars you might be watching something on the tv and you're watching someone being interviewed and it comes into your head i wonder what car they drive you know and we all know that the car you drive um quite often it, it, it reflects your personality you know mm. and you might think somebody drives a particular type of car and you might be quite shocked when you find out that they drive something completely opposite you know so it can work both ways but but yeah or or, or another thing is if you're sat in a restaurant or a pub and there's you you've noticed a really nice car in the car park yeah. you kind of play that game of what looking around a room trying to work out whose car it is you know who's going to suddenly get up and get in it and drive off and and sometimes you get it right and sometimes you don't you know and that that's that's you know an extension of people watching almost isn't it you know but um but yeah i think cars are, are one of the easiest ways of expressing yourself really it's the one thing that we can we, we can buy and it and it's a, a way of maybe showing our our personality or maybe showing a personality that that actually isn't really us, but it's what we would like it to be, you know. Um, so in our case, maybe somebody that drives a silver DB5 or a silver Aston Martin, you know, maybe secretly that's part of their, they wish they could be that 
that fictional character that we associate with that that color of Aston Martin, even if they're even if the reality is that they're not, you know. Um, yeah, so it's it, those sort of things that, that I find really interesting, really. Yeah, and and so Steve, I know careers are, are, can be up and up and down thing. They can change, like you say, that you can have you can go in one direction and, and it changes the next. But I'm interested in what you think your how your role will evolve in the next sort of like five ten years, and and if you still be with the company or, or what you see happening for yourself. Well, yeah, that's a always a tricky one to kind of answer, isn't it? Really. I mean, I, I would hope that I can carry on in this role to, to a point when I retire. Um, I can't actually imagine me ever retiring, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Yeah. I can't imagine me just going, right, that's it then. Pack all the books away. I'm never going to look at any of this again. Don't think that's going to happen, really. And whether I, whether I retire at some point, but then do this as a hobby or I don't know. The, 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 great, the great thing nowadays is that you don't have to retire at a set age anymore. You know, mm-hmm. that we all have more choice this day and age rather than being forced to retire at a certain age. Um, so, yeah, we, you know, we shall see what happens, really. And also, of course, health comes into it. If you're healthy enough, carry on working. Um, you know, it's something we all kind of take for granted a little bit when we're younger. But as you get older, you realise that actually, you know, uh, there's a certain amount of uh, luck involved. And, and also looking after yourself becomes important as well. But, yeah, yeah right. for me personally, I, I just want to, do this forever really basically one way or the other yeah I, I, not not to say you won't but what happens if you couldn't do this anymore for i don't know for whatever reason maybe aston martin say well your time's up um we're looking for someone else i mean what what would you want to do if you could do anything and get paid to do anything what would you do well let's hope that doesn't happen but i guess if it did i'd probably uh find a way of trying to do this privately or, or for somebody else but i can't imagine actually uh i, I couldn't switch brands that's one thing i couldn't do mm. it's either aston martin or or nothing really um in terms of going to another brand to try and do this sort of job um but yeah i don't know there's there's other things that are similar like museums and um archives things like that would be appealing but but you know me personally i think i've i've done enough things in my life now to know what i like doing what i and what i'm good at and for me personally what i'm what i'm interested in is car history and that's where i'd like to to remain really one way or the other that's fantastic and so i'm just i'm just interested so why aston though in the first place like you could have picked i mean guess you could have found any car company in the yeah. uk but yeah. what so why aston in the first place well, I'd worked with Rolls-Royce and Bentley beforehand and I'd grown up with those cars. So I love those cars and still do actually. I still have an interest in Rolls and Bentley. Um, but I guess really to, to answer the question truthfully, it was the local car company, you know, that just happened to be, you know, if I'd lived in Luton or that would have been Vauxhall or if I'd lived in Dagnum, it would be Ford. But because I lived in Northamptonshire, the nearest car factory happened to be Aston Martin. And and that's where the job was advertised. And I wanted to carry on working in the car industry. Um, and that's why I went along for the interview. I didn't I didn't at that point. Um, I liked Aston Martins, but I didn't know much about them. And I didn't have the love for them that I have now. I, I would certainly would have liked them and respected them. But <laughs> but the love for them that came with time, really. Um, and I think I was about three years in. After about three years in, I suddenly had this sort of magical kind of moment almost, you know, where I realized that actually I really did love the brand and and that I couldn't Mm. actually imagine not being in the brand, if that makes sense. You know, it just got deeper and deeper and deeper. 
Um, so yeah, so um, yeah, so for really, really, I was I was lucky that it happened to be, you know, ten miles away from where I was living, um, the local car factory, and it was Aston Martin. Yeah, and so when it comes to, I guess working all this time do you, does, does it, it seems like you've almost not not copy copied your dad but there's there's a certain way that you've you're, you're in a job where all you do is work but you don't work because you see it as you don't see yeah. it as work so it's it's interesting so what why yeah what 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 part of you makes you want to just go to work and and it maybe the mindset changes around it being work because you love it so much yeah well yeah i'm very driven i suppose really by 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 the passion that I've got for the for the subject matter, you know, and um, you know, I think with social media nowadays, it's it's even harder to switch off. I mean, you could just be sat half watching the TV at night time, and I might just spot something and think, oh wow, what's that? You know, and it might be something that that I'd been looking for along, you know, way way back, and suddenly mm. there it is in a picture or whatever, and there's the thing that I'll be following up sort of first thing in the morning, you know. So yeah, there are lots of um, lots of little pet projects i have on the go which are very much pet projects are things that are to do with our our story but they're not a priority but i mm. kind of i've always kind of kept them alive so that if more information comes up it, then it adds to that to that uh, particular subject and, and then maybe that final missing piece of information then makes it something we can actually do something with you know um yeah so so yeah it, it really is a another case of hobby job merging into one because i enjoy doing it you know and sometimes you find things when you're not actually looking for them or you might be reading something and something pops up in a completely unrelated uh, subject that you're reading about um mm. but it just kind of gets something in the back of my brain going again to think ah right hang on a second i never thought of it like that before maybe that's why that happened or that's why that person was there you know so yeah um does that answer the question? <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. And and, and so I'm sorry for to, to keep digging at the same point, but I just like I said, I'm trying to figure out why. Because for me, I guess personally, staying in the same job for for, for twenty plus years, it, it, it baffles me. Um, yeah, I, I suppose I just, you're right. Yeah, I guess I'm I, I'm not built like that. I guess it is. No, <laughs> no. I think you're, no, you're absolutely right, and most people aren't like me anymore. And when I was growing up, um, it was quite normal for people to join a company and stay there forever. And, you know, okay, so my job is a really interesting job, but some people joined the company and, and just put things into cardboard boxes and that's all they ever did. And they did it for 30, 40 years and then they retired and then they went off and did, did their retirement, you know. So, yeah, my job isn't like that. It isn't repetitive. It is different. So for me, I don't see it ever becoming boring. But but equally, I can totally get why people nowadays do something for two years or then move on or whatever the average is nowadays, um, because that is definitely more normal than going somewhere and thinking, right, that's it then, sign up for life. You know, signing up for life doesn't doesn't happen very often anymore. And even traditionally um, jobs or services that, that used to offer that type of opportunity, a lot of those have changed over the years and now they don't expect people to do it either so things like um you know jo joining the armed forces to become a pilot you know in the old days people would do that and almost expect to be doing it until they retired but nowadays they might only do it for a few years and then they might swap and fly civil airliners or something you know and i think that's quite normal and quite acceptable mm. um and the world's changed and the expectations have changed you know 
Um, but yeah, for me, I'm I'm happy doing what I'm doing. And although it's the same company, I've done lots of different things within it. So um, it hasn't just been one job. It's been lots of jobs, but just happened to be under one big umbrella and one one big company, really. Yeah, and it's amazing that you started off in parts, but now you're all these little parts have have culminated into you know you've you started almost at the smallest level you can start. And yeah, you've, you, you've you've broken the car down into its component parts, and you because you now know everything about from a a wheel bearing in a, a DB7 to to whatever comes out and about the advantage. So yeah, I mean, Steve, it, it does sound like you found that that vocation within that feeling you said you described, and it's. I guess yeah. it's something we, we all search for. Yeah, I mean the thing with the parts, um, if you if you're involved with car parts, the obviously attention to detail is quite quite important because, you know, we as you know that sometimes you you might have a uh, a model of car where there's five different versions of the same thing and they may all look exactly the same to the untrained eye, you know. So once you get used to that, realizing that you can't just take it for granted that that's going to fit. Um, in order to do that, you know, you need you develop this sort of attention to detail when you look at things. So having done that, then then that kind of stays with you really. Yeah. So that is quite helpful to me. And quite often I'll spot something on a car, it's a tiny minute detail. But if you if you didn't spot it and it it, it kind of went through, then that could could you know cause um, problems later on. Um so a big thing I do is um looking at toys and games. So even things like lego you know mm. um when we uh when we have products put in front of us to be licensed my job is to check them um for accuracy to make sure they look they look right um for for what they for what they're needed for so so again we could let things go and in the old days people did you know if you looked at old-fashioned toys quite often they're not very accurate but nowadays you know we pride ourselves on getting the details right um and for me that comes back down to my initial part of my career dealing with those things and that helps me in my job now in in, in terms of um, getting the details right yeah and steve i know we're sort of coming towards the end here but there are there are a few like sort of five questions i like to ask and um, we're gonna call them the fast five and the first one of those is if you could have any three cars what would you have oh any three cars can i be astons or or do i need to pick something any, different? any you can have three astons if you want it's anything you want <laughs> well three astons let's do three astons first so i would say uh db5 mm-hmm. gotta be a db5 you know there's no getting away from it um a vanquish the original vanquish is a car that um was very important to me in my in my career at the time and i just love that car as much today as i did when it first came out and uh, and then I'd probably allow myself one of the uh, one of the really early cars, one of the pre-war cars, um, the 1930s model. Um, uh, one car that I've driven and 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 I know I can fit in because I'm six foot two. That has a, a big bearing on dream cars as whether you can actually get in them or not. So yeah, if I picked a pre-war Aston, I'd go for a, a two-liter speed model. Nice. Um, this is a you know it's a real supercar of its era basically. So they're my three Astons. Yeah, brilliant. And so the next the next question is, if you could only have one car to drive on any road or track anywhere, but you can only do it once, where would you go and what would you take? Oh dear, road or track. Well, I, I've driven on tracks and, and that's great. It's always good fun, but I like road journeys. I like road trips, you know. Um, so a road trip, what would I do that in? Hmm. Well, the Vanquish would be a good car for a road trip. Um, or if it was a modern day Aston, I'd take a DBS 
current mm, DBS. Yep. I absolutely love that car. And yeah, road trips. I've been very lucky. I've done road trips across America, that sort of thing. And I'd love to do that again. I'd love to drive east to west or west to east in an Aston. No, yeah, right. so maybe that's the one. Yeah, fantastic. And the next one is, is inspiration. So who inspires you and where, where do you get inspiration from? Oh, dear. Where do I get inspired? Well, you know, I know it sounds cheesy, but my parents really, I suppose, you know, I owe them an awful lot. Mm. Um, and it's, it'd be quite easy to say, well, it's all, all down to my dad. You know, my dad worked with cars and, you know, uh, which, you know, is largely uh, responsible for my interest in them. But actually, my mum, I hadn't realised how much my mum had played a part in what I now do, because it was my mum that encouraged me to to try and do a bit better at school. She was the one who used to push me. She was the one who got me reading books, really. And and that I really do, you know, that's a massive turning point for me, mm. reading and enjoying books. So definitely over an awful lot to both parents, you know. Um, inspiration, that's a good one. Well, I'll tell you one thing, again, is that I've recently met a just by chance a few younger people that are, that are starting off with their kind of career in cars or their hobby yeah. in cars you know and that is that is i can that is nothing better to me than finding somebody young that is interested in the things that i like you know things that i like i wouldn't expect anybody else to like really but when you find somebody that really does love uh the similar same sort of thing that you love um and they're hell-bent on on having a career or a hobby around it, then that's just great. I mean, I just love um, meeting people that have got that enthusiasm. And I think it's a lot harder nowadays than it, than it was. And I think the future's a lot harder and a lot less certain than, you know, than, than it was when I was a, um, an 18 year old buying my first classic car, you know, with no worries about fuel. You know, you didn't even think about whether there'd ever be fuel to put in your, your classic car. Um, whereas now that is a, a, a major consideration um and um yeah so i i think that that's where i get my inspiration from is meeting younger people that have got the passion that i've got for it and trying my best to try and support that really and and, and wish them all well in their in their hobby or their career whichever way they they go with it so advice is something that i guess younger people should be looking for more of and something that i look for day in day out and so what advice would you have given a steve that just come out of school to do more with their passion or to pursue something they loved? Yeah. Well, my advice, as I said earlier, would be when you're at school, do the best you possibly can. It will make life a damn sight easier for you in the, in the future. Um, but if that has been and gone, and if maybe you regret not doing doing things, then then don't give up, you know, and um, and you're the, you're the one that can make a difference, really. And, um, you know, the more you put, the more effort you put into something, the more you'll get out of it. So don't give up on, don't give up on your dreams and, um, and try and make yourself different from everybody else. You know, if you're applying for a job, try and think what the person reading the application form is, is looking for, try and stand out, you know, and if you want to be a car designer, then start drawing cars. Even if you've got nowhere near being a car designer, get yourself a sketch pad, you know, and the same with whatever else it may be. Start building up a sort of portfolio of what you've done, what you've achieved. Maybe it's buying a car and doing it up or restoring it. That is a part that can be a portfolio. And nowadays, easier to record than it was for for when I was a, a, um, a youngster. You know, you can take videos, you can take photographs, you can build up an Instagram page. 
you know that is almost like having a, a a sort of portfolio for yourself and for your hobby so yeah you know look look at things like that fantastic and the last one steve is is uh is specialized to everyone so the one it is for you is what do you love most about Aston martin well i know i keep droning on about people but for me it's the people that make aston martin what it is and I, that's the people i work with that's the people that buy the cars and own the cars um yeah that's the it's, it's like a magic ingredient i think um yeah it, and it is the most amazing brand that there are things within it that it's really hard to define but it all kind of comes together but i do think a lot of it is is really shaped by the people that interact with it fantastic and, and, and steve thank you for your time it's been a pleasure to, to learn a bit more about what goes on inside aston thanks, martin and, and the history of it so yeah yeah thanks very much thanks for inviting me hey i wanted to start off this episode in a different way we were, thanks to you guys listening, in the top 10% of podcasts most shared globally, which is so impressive and means so much to me for a podcast that is less than a year old. Still, I want to set you a challenge of getting into that top 1%. So if you have ever enjoyed an episode or thought that the message from a guest was worth sharing, please send that episode to your friends. If you know someone that loves cars and is looking to get into the industry or change careers, help give them some inspiration. I don't think Steve knows the extent of his job. For him, it's a love affair and a hobby rather than a job itself. And it's fantastic. But in 50 years, when a little kid finds an old Aston Martin and wonders, what is it? It would have been his work that Steve has spent preserving that history and making sure the facts are correct and that it sparks a passion inside that kid. I aim to do the same here. And if you're listening and wondering how you can work with cars, we have a list of people ranging from race mechanics to content creators. So if you find something that interests you, let me know. I'd love to see if I can help. And could you do me a massive favor? Whatever you're listening, rate the podcast. Let me know what you thought of it and give it a rating. After all, I'm only going to be able to get better if people give me feedback. And so with that being said, I'm Harry and this is the Ignition Podcast. Thank you for listening.